Uh, finally, I want to kind of intro the fact that we are starting a new, uh, new series today called Foundations. So you have new bulletins that uh, have a wonderful new photo on them. Uh, during the summer months, we're going to be discussing, as Steve mentioned, uh, our doctrine and confessional statements. So uh, if you are interested a little bit more in like, what we believe here at Liberty, what we will affirm as truth in Scripture, this is a great series to stay connected with, to be uh, to following up with, to being here, or even following along on our website and podcast. So we'd love for you to, to follow along with us in this series. Uh, doctrine... Um, as we talk about doctrine, Steve alluded to this, doctrine can carry with it some negative connotations, um, but we want to explain with, with great clarity what we believe and why we believe it, and really what the implications of what we believe are. And so we're going to be starting this series, and hopefully, if you have questions uh, that come up from this series, questions that we may be discussing uh, throughout this series, we want to encourage you to, to email us. Uh, my email is john, J-O-N, at liberty.org. I'd love to, to have a dialogue with you about uh, what, what it is that we believe and why we believe it. So um, that being said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the transition now to our, our service, our, our sermon this morning. So it's a, it's a, I'm not going to walk around the table one time. So, so if you can just kind of imagine now we're now in this, <laughs> the time of our sermon. Um, I, uh, it, it's a really cool thing. Um, this week, my wife and I will be celebrating uh, 18 years of being together. Uh, thank you. Yes, that's cool, right? You wouldn't think I was that old, but you're wrong. Um, and by celebrate, I mean I will go to work, she will watch our children, we will eat dinner, put the kids to bed, and I'll probably fall asleep on the couch. Because that's how you celebrate a date anniversary. At some point, I will say, happy date anniversary. I might even send her a really funny meme. So, um, you know, that, that's, that, that's, that's just the, the reality of the stage of life that we're in. You know, we weren't always there. I, could, I can honestly say um, I love my wife now more than I have and, and that I did 18 years ago, right, uh, when we started dating. You see, I thought, I thought, I thought I loved her. Like, I was, I was crazy in love with her at the beginning, right? Uh, we started dating we started celebrating like one month anniversaries and then like a three month and then six months. And then you have to just go to like years, right? It's like, it's like with, with small children, you start counting months until the years start adding up. Um, but although um, I thought I loved her then, I, I love her more now than I ever did, right? I look back and, and my, my love for her was, was, was childish. It was, it was young. It was, it was, Un, um, underdeveloped of what I even thought I could be capable of, of loving. Um, you see, in the time, in the last 18 years, we've been on the, the highest of mountaintops, and we've been down in, in some very, very deep valleys. Um, valleys that I never even could have imagined. But all of this has given me an understanding of her that would allow me, I would say, to be an expert in who she is. Right, an expert in understanding of her that uh, uh, if, if you were to ask me about my wife to write about her, I, I, I really do feel like I would be able to give you um, a, a very clear understanding and writing about her and, and, and describing her and ha how she works and, and who she is and what motivates her and what, what makes her sad, like all of these things, right? Um, 
Now imagine with me the, uh, the possibility of, of her not communicating with me for the last 18 years. Right? Imagine with me, like, this component of me knowing her is her talking with me, to expressing her feelings, expressing her thoughts, and, and correcting me when I do things wrong. Right? This, is, this is part of how things work. But imagine, like, for the last 18 years, we weren't, we weren't even talking. Like, we would just lived together. We would do what we were supposed to do. And all of a sudden, we're here today, um, and you asked me about her. I would be able to explain to you her actions, her tendencies, but I wouldn't really know the heart of who she is because none of those things were ever vocalized. I wouldn't know her thoughts, her feelings. I would know nothing truly about her. So would I even really know her? I would say no, that my knowledge of her would be extremely limited. And many people treat God this way. They, they try to get to know God by observation of the world, by the observation of the church and how church people act. Uh, they come to certain conclusions about God that might be true, but do they really know God? These conclusions about God um, that we develop are called doctrine. Uh, to our benefit, God has communicated to us with his word, the Bible. He, in a, as, as a loving spouse does, desires to be known and studied, giving us opportunities to develop a right understanding about him. You see, God actually commands us to know him, to learn more about him, to share him and who he is in an accurate way. And one of the places that we see God tell us to do this is in Titus 2. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Titus Chapter 2, if you're, uh, if you're using one of our hard, uh, hardback Bibles in front of you, that's going to be on page 998. So turn with me now, and let's read from this book that we love. Titus chapter 2. It says this, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, and love and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an, op so that an opponent may, uh, may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may be adorned, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting 
for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up to redeem us all from, unlawless, from lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. Let's pray. Our Father, you are inexhaustible. We could spend all of eternity learning each day something new about you. And though knowing you more would, would fill us with awe, with fear, with, with wonder and love for you. So Father, we come to you and to your word this morning as we study these doctrines over the next 14 weeks Guide our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus by the work of your spirit to reveal error and correct it, to reveal where we don't fully trust you and remove our fear, where we lack faith and give us more faith. Lord, may we confess that we believe and, and so help our unbelief. In the name of the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit, one God, holy, eternal, and good. This morning, there are. Um, I'd like for us to discuss two points, therefore, in our passage in Titus 2. Uh, first, what is sound doctrine? And second, what does sound doctrine produce? Uh, one thing at the beginning of this passage in verse 1 uh, that Paul is directing Titus to do is to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach sound doctrine. The implication here is that even in the early church, we're talking 30 years probably after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, uh, the church was receiving and there was a, a consistent form of incorrect doctrines being discussed and taught. Uh, these doctrines ranged from the Judaizers, who are also referred to in some scriptures as the circumcision party, who taught that it was necessary to adopt Jewish customs and practices in addition to Christ in order to be saved. Another issue that was prevalent in that time were the Gnostics, which taught that matter, or like the flesh, was evil and that only the spirit was good. They would even deny the, uh, the bodily crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And the list of these heresies would go on and on and on. Uh, but the thing is, like, we can't look at that and go, that was then, thank goodness that we've corrected all of those because there are errors that are taught even today. Uh, there is a litany of, of errors that are believed, and we've seen these beliefs uh, um, infiltrate even our own culture um, today. One of those being neo-Gnosticism, like there's a new Gnostic belief. Uh, Marcionism, where the Old Testament God is bad, but the New Testament God is good. Maybe you've heard of this and people uh, affirming that. They're like, he's, he's mad in the Old Testament. God is mad. But thank goodness we got the New Testament God, right? You've heard this. I've heard this in discussions even at Starbucks. Uh, there's, uh, there's, an <laughs> there's another uh, belief called pluralism where uh, multiple religions are all true. And there's the newest Americanized um, belief of moral, moralistic therapeutic deism, uh, with that, which means that with enough good works 
and spiritual activity. Your great counselor in the sky will affirm your goodness and welcome you into heaven because you're not as bad as your neighbor. And with all of these uh, and their counterparts, and what they do is they take elements of truth, they take pieces of truth, and they misconstrue them, and they twist them, and they turn them into a lie which is why it's so very important that we not shy away from the study of doctrine. Because what doctrine does is it, it gives us a great understanding of who God is. So, so what is, as, as Paul says here in Titus 2, what is sound doctrine? He kind of makes an assumptive statement that we don't see necessarily a ton of the outworking of in Titus 2, but he says, teach sound doctrine. He says that, for, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Uh, those who pastor and shepherd the church should teach sound doctrine. That's what he's saying. But those in the church should therefore receive sound doctrine, believe sound doctrine, practice sound doctrine, living therefore in light of sound doctrine. Uh, so as far as, as what doctrine is, I've now said the word doctrine 16 times today alone, okay? What is doctrine? Let's clarify that um, first. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the word doctrine was chiefly translated as the word laka, meaning what is received. All right, we see this in Deuteronomy 32, Job 11, Proverbs 4, and Isaiah 29. The idea is that a, a body of revealed teaching is chiefly expressed by the teachings of Scripture or the Torah in the Old Testament, which occurs 216 times and is rendered under the term law. So when you see law in the Old Testament, you will see that this is the teachings. These are the acceptable teachings of what God has commanded and revealed to his people. In the New Testament, Two words are used to describe um, this doctrine. Uh, didascalia, which means both the act and content of teaching, which we see in Matthew 15, we see this in Mark 7, Ephesians 4, 1 Timothy 1 and 4, and Titus 1, 9, which is the previous chapter to our verse today, and we see it twice used in Titus 2. Um, didache, which is more used in the New Testament, it too can mean either the act of teaching or the content of the teaching. Doctrine is generally understood to be a communally agreed upon authoritative teaching. These are the things that um, the church has believed, the church has affirmed from the beginning as sound doctrine, which is why Paul can say, teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. In essence, Paul is saying, Teach what I have taught you, what we have believed um, in the Old Testament, what we are now seeing and believing now about who Christ is. Therefore, doctrines are, like I said, the agreed-upon teachings about particular truths that God himself, and this is important, has revealed about himself and his creation. And, it, and it's all found in the scriptures. There are core doctrines, many of which are surmised in the Apostles' Creed, which we read today. Some might say that doctrine has no importance or impact on our lives. That's like saying the Bible has no impact on our life. 
The Bible testifies to what is true, and doctrine is the summation of these truth claims. It is the content of, of looking at, at a, a topic in the scriptures and understanding the fullness of that topic in context of the scriptures. You can live in a world where you don't know God, don't love God, and don't obey God. But to live in that world is, is to really not experience the fullness of that world. Because God has, has instructed us on what really this, this life is all about, this world around us is all about. You can, you can try to live in that world, but in doing so, uh, you wouldn't experience the fullness of life, just like in a relationship to not know and communicate the person that you're, with your, the, that you're living with is to not experience the fullness of that relationship. There is so much available to us through the scriptures to understand this God who has created us, loved us, and has sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. Therefore, we should desire, each of us, to know as much as we can about this God who has revealed himself. And the more you know about him, I promise you, the more you will love him. Thanks be to God that he is not silent. As, as deists have done, what they believe is that God created things, set the world into motion, spun it, and walked away. We don't believe that about God because we believe that God is present. He is with us, that he sent his son to be with us, that he has revealed himself to us. He is not silent about who he is because he desires us to know him and in knowing him to love him. This is why doctrine is so important. And, but we don't know about God unless, we reveal, unless God reveals and speaks about himself. We don't come to these doctrines by contemplation we come to these doctrines by revelation. What God has revealed about himself in his word. This is, this is why we can't create something about God that will be true unless we see it in his word. We must have right doctrine or sound doctrine. Not creative, contemplative ideas. Many people, um, unfortunately, if you ask the average person on the street about their doctrines, what they believe about God, as soon as they open their mouths, they are speaking doctrinal statements, right? As Steve said this morning, if you ask someone about Jesus, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is going to be a doctrinal statement, what they believe about Jesus or about God. Unfortunately, just culturally speaking, We've been informed a lot by what I like to call as cartoon theology. Right? Bugs Bunny has informed so much about what happens when someone dies. Their spirit comes up, they have wings, they float away with, with white robes. Uh, you've seen the Saturday morning cartoons. Right? All of a sudden, when we die, we believe that we're angels. This is not in accordance with what is sound doctrine or the teachings of Scripture, but has been informed by media. It's been informed by, um, in, in essence, cartoons sometimes, what we believe about hell. I remember growing up and watching Saturday morning cartoons, and, you know, for some reason, it was always Daffy Duck that went to hell, right? I, I'm, you can't understand him. He's always angry. It kind of made sense, right? <laughs> You're like, no, I could, I could see that. Mickey Mouse, no. Donald, mm, yeah, yeah. 
Um, but he was always in this picture, and he had the red suit and the horns and the tail and the pitchfork. And all of a sudden, I've developed a doctrine of what hell is like based off of a cartoon. And we, we might try to reject this, but we really do get influenced a lot of, of our beliefs about God based off of what we've seen in media, not what we've read in Scripture. This is why Paul, he, he commends us in saying this, especially about and regarding the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, he says, um, As I have received, and what is in accordance with Scripture, Right? He says, I, I'm going to affirm what is in accordance with Scripture about who Jesus is and the resurrection because we've seen, we've seen shadows of the resurrection since the beginning. The first gospel is in Genesis. And so our understanding here of what's, what we believe about God must be informed by Scripture. Must be informed about, by, by Scripture. Here at Liberty, we affirm 13 doctrinal statements. We believe that these 13 doctrinal statements are central. They're unifying aspects of what the Bible claims to be true. There are many more things that are true and doctrines that we might be able to affirm personally and individually. But this list, which is adopted by us and it's produced by the Gospel Coalition, is a list whose intention is to be as close-handed on the essentials and gracious and secondary and tertiary issues. So these 13 things would be, as as would be put into the close-handed category. So let me read for you the 13 things. These are also the titles of the sermons that are coming up. So sneak peek. Uh, one, the triune God, the Trinity. Two, Revelation. Not Revelation, the book, but Revelation, Scripture. The creation of humanity. The fall. The plan of God or the, go the plan of God. Uh, the gospel, uh, the, re the redemption of Christ, the justification of sinners, the power of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God, God's new people, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and the restoration of all things. You can find more about this doctrinal and confessional statement both on our website and also on the Gospel Coalition uh, website. To get a fuller understanding of these doctrines, Stay with us, like I said, through the rest of the summer and these series. They will be spoken to uh, specifically over the next 13 weeks. Uh, we'll have the privilege, actually, in this series of hearing six other pastors and leaders who will affirm these doctrines over that time. Uh, you will hear me, um, good or bad, uh, four more times over the summer. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to tell you when I'm preaching, so you don't skip but one of the things that I'm really looking forward to, and, and this is, a, this is a, a joy to even be able to say, is like at the end of our series, uh, Pastor Matt will be back to close our series out. And so uh, we are, are continuing to pray for, for he and Shay and, uh, and what they are going to experience during this time of sabbatical. So keep praying for, uh, for them. So that was a long first point. I only have one more, and it's much shorter. Um, what then does sound doctrine produce? Uh, sound doctrine or right doctrine um, produces right living. Um, the thing is, though, you can have the right doctrine, but not the right actions or heart. Orthodoxy or right understanding and orthopraxy, uh, right living, are not um, 
are not always hand in hand. You can believe the right things, but without faith, without the Spirit of God, it is going to be very hard to accomplish those things. So it's not a one-for-one ratio as you can affirm these doctrines but still be unregenerate. Faith plus right doctrine is what we see in Romans 6, 17 and 18, where it says this, You were once slaves of sin and have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, became slaves of righteousness. So faith and belief of right doctrine produces this, uh, this righteousness that will exist because we are believing and living out the things that we say we believe. Some of the things that can be a diagnostic for our faith and belief are mentioned here by Paul, starting in verse 2. Uh, the first thing that he uh, will summarize is, is the issue of discipleship. The issue of discipleship. Right belief, right belief in orthodoxy plus faith uh, will lead to discipleship. He mentions older men in verse 2. He tells them in verse 3 to teach what is good. He mentions older women to teach what is good and to train younger women. In verse 6, he says, urge the younger men around you to believe these things, to live out these things. There is a, an outworking of seeing the gospel's impact on your own life, the way your life is changed, that you want others to experience the same thing, the same freedom, the same hope, the same joy as you. But there is... Uh, but if there is not an internal desire when we hear the refrain throughout Scripture to disciple, to disciple, to disciple, then we really need to check, well, do we really believe the gospel? Do we, have we really seen the transformational work of the Spirit in our lives? Because this, this freedom that we experience as believers is, is something that we should desire for all people to experience. We should want our neighbors to know freedom, to know hope, to have a, a hope for the future, to know that there is a God who loves them. To, to, to do this means entering into a conversation with someone, entering into a, a, a relationship with them to explain this grace that is, that is afforded to you. We do this with our children. We do this with our neighbors. We do this with our coworkers. Anyone that we have contact with is, is a worthy recipient of the knowledge of who God is and his plan for salvation. But this lack of discipleship that we see has existed um, since the beginning of the church, which is why we have to, Paul has to say again and again, train up the younger women, train up the younger men, Make disciples. These are not natural outworkings for us. We must be directed and commanded to do these things. Because we forget. We fill up our time with so many things, sometimes really great things. And we forget that, that our call is to be disciples who make disciples. This is our call as Christians, and I believe the lack of this has contributed to what we're seeing culturally here in America today. What else does sound doctrine produce? It produces obedience in godly living. 
produces obedience and godly living. These are, these are consistent refrains throughout Paul's letters um, to the church to teach and to remind people to do this. In verse 2, he says, be sober-minded. Um, he's calling the older men, be sober-minded. Uh, in the NASB, it says to be tempered. Uh, and to temper something is to, something to have been tested, uh, to see its, its worth and its grit, if you will. To be sober-minded, to be dignified, to be self-controlled. He, he uses the term self-controlled three times throughout this passage, referring to every one of these groups. Uh, a self-controlled person, someone who is in control of their faculties, in control of, of their actions. And we do this because the Spirit of God enables us to be self-controlled. To live in a way that is, that is not out of control or out of, of, the, of, of the bounds in which God has, has graciously put us into. But he also calls people to be sound in faith, to be sound in love, and to be sound in steadfastness. Live in a way that, that is salt and light in your home and in your workplace, and in your community. Light is attractive. It beckons to the dark to come and find rest. It produces hope. It produces love. It produces joy. It is not free from trouble. It is not free from pain. It is not free from temptation or failure, disease, or death. It is not free of these things but it finds its hope not in itself, but in, but in the light that is Christ. To be godly, as 1 Timothy 4.8 reminds us, is that godliness has value in all things, holding the promise for both the present life and the life to come. We should pursue godliness. And we pursue godliness by understanding what God has called us to, not inventing our own standard of godliness, just like we don't invent our own understanding of who God is, but we look to the scriptures and see what God has commanded his people to be. You see, God has, has always set apart a people that live in a way that is different than the people around them. He has set these people apart from the beginning to be his people. So we should not be surprised when God calls us to do things that may be uncomfortable should not be surprised when God calls us to do things that are not in accord with what everyone else is doing. They may be uncomfortable, they may be awkward for us, but we must understand that God calls us to these things because God calls us out of slavery into freedom and therefore becoming a light for, for those who are still in bondage. Sound doctrine also produces grace and hopefulness. See, sound doctrine produces it because sound doctrine is centered in the truth of Scripture. What we see in, in verses 11 through, through 13, what we see here is that, um, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is itself grace and hope, but as verse 12 says, that this grace um, of the gospel trains us to renounce ungodliness. To renounce something is to, to set it uh, apart, to, to cut it off, to say that is no longer a part of who I am, that is no longer something that I will be controlled by, is no longer something that I will be mastered by, to renounce it. 
and to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and therefore to, to live a, again, self-controlled, upright, and godly life. And Paul says here in verse 14, because he, Christ, gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people who are zealous for good works. God's people, like I said, have always been called to live a separate uh, life, to be apart, not to be uh, totally removed and, uh, and isolated from community and people, but in the community of people to live in a way that is different, that is set apart. We, we do this because we believe the gospel. We believe what God says. It may not make 100% of sense for you right now. You may not rationalize it immediately in your mind of, of why God is calling me to live a self-controlled life, why God is calling me to renounce ungodliness. It may not make sense, but we must trust moving forward that God knows what he's talking about. The creator of all things, the designer of humanity, might know how we work. We might know what is good for us. It is not for us to be morally superior and therefore to look down upon people who do not act in such a way, but it is to, to in essence, be the light for restoration and redemption for the rest of his creation. God has been and will be forever the one who brings peace into chaos and restores that which is broken. You can believe this because this is the doctrine that we believe about God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He comes in. He came in in Genesis. And I love, I love the, the Hebrew term here, the, the tohu vavohu, right? That's a fun word. Like, you can write that one down. Um, he comes into the chaos, right? He comes into the, to make the world, and he comes in and he sets things right. And he sets things and he brings peace into chaos, and he's done that in my life. He's done that in many of you who proclaim Christ. You can say that there is a peace that exists that was not there before Christ. So as we move along through this series, um, we, we, we see and we understand uh, more about who God is. And we see him act and we see what we believe and will affirm about him. I would, I would, I would ask you to, to engage really well in this series, to to listen well, to ask good questions, um, and receive uh, what the Word of God has said about what we believe. So um, hopefully you will hear, and by faith will receive and believe what God says to be true. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we believe in you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and so far as we can, and so far as you have given us the power to, we have sought you. God, throughout this life, we have become weary and labored. Oh, Lord, our God, our sole hope, help us to believe and to never cease seeking you. Father, grant that we may always, always seek you, Always seek your counsel, your countenance. Give us the strength to seek you in an in in age of skepticism and doubt. Help us to find you, even when we can only see dimly. Father, we, we ask that you would continue to guide us, 
direct us and give us your peace. Amen.